And well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Well, as Sarah alluded to in the children's message, uh, you don't need me to tell you that this has been a traumatic week for our nation, filled with disgraceful and treasonous images, lots of bad news. We watched on Wednesday as a lawless mob, many of them visibly armed, stormed the capital of our nation, climbing walls, breaking windows, pressing against police barricades, sometimes trampling people to death in the process, and eventually breaching the Senate floor. We watched as they attempted to pull down the American flag and replace it with a Trump flag. We watched as Nazi symbols and Confederate flags were paraded through the very seat of our democracy. We watched as some constructed a noose and scaffolding threatening to hang the vice president and other members of the Senate for failing to stand by their commander in chief. We watched as blood was spilt. But as disciples of Jesus, there was something even more treasonous that pervaded the scene. And that was the syncretism and blurring of lines we saw between the kingdom of God and the cult of Caesar. In the wake of it all, Amanda Opelt, a Christian singer and songwriter had this to say. She said, as long as I live, I will never forget that a seditious mob stormed our country's Capitol building while carrying the Christian flag and signs that say Jesus saves all on Epiphany. A day where the church collectively acknowledges that Jesus alone is Lord, the power hungry Herods of the world come to nothing and our kingdom is not of this world. If this is not a moment of reckoning, of revelation, of epiphany, I don't know what is, end quote. The liturgical season that immediately follows Christmas in the church calendar is the season of epiphany, where we celebrate the light of Christ and the manifestation of his glory upon the earth. Now the word epiphany uh, has a Greek origin and it refers to an appearance an illumination, a manifestation, especially of a divine being. So in this way, it's similar to the more familiar word revelation. The activity of God in supernaturally revealing himself to the world. And there are two principal images from scripture for this season. The first is the visit of the Magi to the Christ child in Bethlehem, which is read on the Feast of Epiphany on January 6th. And the second is the baptism of our Lord, which is always the gospel reading on the first Sunday of Epiphany, which we just heard today. So this morning, I want to reflect on uh, these two biblical images for Epiphany, uh, for God's self-revelation to the world, and see what they have to say to us. But I actually want to take them in reverse order. So let's start with the baptism of our Lord. Will you turn with me to our gospel reading from Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and beginning at verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, saying, You are my beloved Son, with you 
I am well pleased. The scripture describes the inauguration of Jesus's ministry on earth and his coronation as the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, the essential quality of an epiphany is not that it reveals something new, rather it reveals a manifestation of something that's always been there, yet now we see it, right? And likewise, Jesus was already the Messiah from his birth, but as of yet, it hadn't been publicly revealed. So this was coronation day from Jesus. And just look at all these images of revelation. It says in Mark chapter one, verse 10, that Jesus saw the heavens being torn open. So the image is of the sky being rent asunder like a curtain that was blocking the light, but now it all comes flooding in, right? And it says the spirit descended on him like a dove. Now in the Old Testament, kings were always anointed with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, just as we saw in our Psalm reading today. But here the connection is much more direct. The spirit makes a tangible dove-like form visit hovering over the waters of Jesus's baptism, just as the spirit of God hovered over unformed creation in Genesis 1. In other words, humanity and all of creation is getting a new start in Jesus the Messiah. And finally, there's the voice of God the Father speaking out the words of divine affirmation from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, if ever there was a moment of epiphany in the Gospels, of the curtain being torn back, revealing the true identity of Jesus, this was it. I would say the, the only other contender might be the transfiguration, which appropriately is read on the last Sunday of epiphany. But the baptism of Jesus, in some sense, has been more central to the Christian tradition because it was also more public. As Benedict XVI puts it, the hour of the definitive David, of the renewal of the kingdom of David, is the establishment of the kingdom of God himself, and it is now come. And this moment doesn't belong to Jesus alone. All three members of the Godhead are present and accounted for with the Spirit and the Father launching out the Son into his earthly mission. And in a similar way, at the end of Jesus's earthly mission, he will again invoke the Holy Trinity, sending out his disciples to all nations and calling them to baptize what? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus's earthly ministry concerns the epiphany of the one triune God from start to finish. And this message of the baptism of our Lord, I think is oddly comforting, even for those of us who spent most of our lives living in a democracy. And the message is this, that Jesus is the king, whether we like it or not, right? When I, when I was hanging out with Fumi earlier this week, uh, he was saying what a relief it was uh, about Jesus that we didn't vote him in and we can't vote him out. Amen. That's good news. Today, many Christians, I think, feel stuck between uh, the dangerous personality defects of can candidate A and the dangerous worldview defects of candidate B. And to speak plainly, that's exactly how I felt in this last election. And I pity anyone who didn't feel that tension. But Jesus presents us with a king 
who not only does good, but is good. Amen? That's the good news that supersedes the bad news. And the sword of Jesus's word cuts both ways, to the right and to the left. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. If it were, his servants would have fought to prevent his arrest. John 18, 36. Of course, the mayhem at the Capitol this week arose from a small percentage of the people at the rally. Most were there to protest in peace. But friends, that was also true of the racial justice protests throughout 2020. And all too often, we didn't hear that kind of charitable nuance from their detractors, right? So it's worth asking the question to our own hearts, Christian people, are we showing partiality in our stock sympathies, showing an eagerness to excuse some and accuse others along political or racial lines? Are we eager to fudge the data or promote conspiracy theories when the facts threaten our chosen narrative? I've seen this sinful tendency on regular display from both sides this year, bolstered by divisive politicians, one-sided news outlets, and peer pressure on social media. Yet in our reading today from Acts 10, the Apostle Peter proclaims, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, or as the old version says, God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. This week, a far right-winged friend of mine uh, asked me whether I had spoken up against the mob violence from leftist groups in 2020. And I could honestly say that I had, but it also caused me to ask, what's the point behind that question? Was it to edify me or justify himself? We should be asking ourselves those same questions. Because if I hadn't done so, would the hypocrisy of one man excuse the hypocrisy of another? Does turning a blind eye to one kind of mob violence actually excuse people who want to turn a blind eye to violent insurrection? From a Christian perspective, the answer is no. All truth belongs to God. We're not at the center of the universe. He is. And that means that truth is truth and evil is evil, regardless of whether it's verbally acknowledged by us or people on the other side, and regardless of whether it fits into the political boxes of the world. At the baptism of Jesus, God lets us in on the most important truth, the most important news of all, that Jesus is the King of Kings. And friends, if that's true, then we better make sure that our understanding of the truth is in line with his. Amen? All right, next I want to go backwards in time from Jesus's baptism in the River Jordan to the other principal image for the season of Epiphany in the Gospels, the visit of the Magi. This story comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, 
and have come to worship him. So here we have the wise men or the magi in Greek, which likely referred to Zoroastrian astrologists who traveled from Babylon about 800 miles away to pay homage to the child who had been born king of the Jews. Their only guidance came from a star that rose and went up before them, verse 9, and uh, the movement of this star in the story suggests that this was not a natural occurring phenomenon. Sometimes the Magi are called kings because they were obviously men of great wealth and power. And sometimes they're called three kings because they offered three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, without a doubt, this is one of the strangest stories in the Gospels. But it's interesting to note that it really captured the imagination of the earliest Christians. The Magi appear often on the wall paintings in the catacombs and in early Christian iconography. They are consistently referenced in the Christmas homilies of the early church fathers, and they're even given legendary names, which some of you may know. So why was the image of the Magi so important to the early church? Because most of the earliest Christians were Gentiles. Gentiles, not Hebrews, not people of the covenant. And the Magi were the earliest examples of Gentile converts. The presence of these foreigners at this early moment in Jesus' story testifies that the door of the kingdom had been swung open to every tribe, tongue, and nation under heaven. Amen? To make it more relatable, um, the Anglican theologian Stephen Gautier likens the symbol of the Magi to the symbol of the Statue of Liberty. What the Statue of Liberty has meant to American immigrants in a, in a temporal sense, being an image of hope and welcome, is similar to what the Magi meant to the Gentiles of that time in an eternal sense. So these are the two biblical images for Epiphany, the coronation of King Jesus as seen in his baptism and the opening up of the kingdom as seen through the Magi. Could any more relevant images be presented before us for these times? A time when so many professed Christians seem to have come down with a terrible case of king confusion, and while symbols of ethnic hate are paraded through our nation's capital. And ironically, this took place on January 6th the Feast of Epiphany. In her excellent article in Christianity Today, Tish Warren writes, the season of Epiphany reminds us that we do not just receive the light of Christ. We are charged with sharing it with all the world. So there's a missional purpose in Epiphany. She goes on to say, but if the nations were watching yesterday as people destabilize democracy while carrying flags that read, make America godly again, would any onlooker want anything to do with this Christ? Now, friends, I don't think we need to get discouraged. People have been using the Lord's name in vain since before the time of Moses. But, and, and, and it's also true that Christians should be eager for their homeland to reflect biblical values. That's part of praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But friends, we don't, we don't do that by substituting truth for political allegiance, right? That's, that's just lying. And we don't do that 
by using Jesus as a way of bolstering up our latest political idol, whether they're Republican or Democrat or independent or otherwise. That's just, that's just using the Lord's name in vain. We don't do that by substituting God's eternal kingdom for an obsession with the politics of this temporal country. That's just foolishness. So I propose, regardless how we receive the news, that we turn it off for a while, that we put away our phones, that we take a long fast from social media, because much of it really is fake news, and we reacquaint ourselves with God's holy word. When's the last time that we had a habit of coming to that day after day for our bread, for our truth? In a pastoral letter to the diocese, Bishop Neal wrote, Scripture warns us not to put our trust in princes, but all too often we as American Christians ignore the import of that command. Our trust must be in the Lord and in him alone. Amen. I think that's right on the money. But this season of epiphany, guys, take these weeks. The season of epiphany can show us the way back, back to integrity, back to the light, and most importantly, back to the real king. As the preface to Holy Communion for the season of epiphany puts it, the Lord Jesus took on our mortal flesh to reveal his glory that he might bring us out of darkness and into his glorious light. Amen.